It is incredible to be here. What an awesome church. What an incredible place. I mean, just, uh, just the, the atmosphere here and worship, the, the anointing that's obviously on this, this place. And um, we need to give a round of applause to your leadership. Can we give JP and his wife, Rachel, a hand? I think that they, they could be models if they weren't pastors. That's what I... Like, I joke that they look like the couple that comes in the picture frame when you buy a picture frame, you know, and you take it out and put your picture in. That could be JP and Rachel. No, they're awesome. And, and uh, uh, Pastor Zach and the rest of the team, they're doing such an awesome job. It's just a great, and, and what an amazing location, you know, and, and, uh, right on State Street in downtown Chicago. So it's really cool for me to be here. I, uh, like you said, I live in Tepic, Nayarit. Um, I've been there for 11 years, my wife and Kids, uh, I met my wife there, so my kids are um, bilingual missionary little little girls, and um, I wish they could be here so you guys could could meet them. But it's awesome. We we plant churches. We basically have four focuses down in La Fuente, and uh, we're planting churches right now. We have 20 churches in Mexico, and our dream, our vision, is to have 100 churches in Mexico. So right now, we've set the next five years. We have a plan um, to plant 10 churches in the next five years. We have the cities picked out, and who's going to do what? We just have to go down there and make it happen. We also have an orphanage with 28 kids right now, and. The way we look at that is um, we want it to be a home and not an institution. So we have, they all, we want to cap it at 30. They all have their own stuff. And our joke is that all of our kids want to live in the orphanage, right? All the pastor's kids at La Fuente wish that they could live there because we have, they have such a cool, it's, it's awesome. They, they take classes and they do, and it's amazing to see how God has taken some of these horrible situations, uh, little girls that come out of um, sex trafficking and they, you know, at the age of seven and eight, uh, and, and in some cases homeless, and to see them, and I'm not exaggerating, but to see them on the front row raising their hands in worship as they're 15, 16, 17, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and so that's one of the things we get to do. It's called Nana's House, our orphanage. Um, we also have a, a Bible school, a training school, and we uh, host short-term teams. So there's a lot of stuff going on down there. You guys are welcome anytime. Come on down. Talk to JP. He'll make it happen. Uh, he'll even pay for your trip, maybe. So, <laughs> but uh, we'd love to have you guys, or your church could bring a team down, work with the orphanage, and help us build some churches. It'd be really cool. Um, uh, but when, I, when I'm up here, I really feel like God has placed a word on my heart, and uh, I'm excited to share it. I, I feel like for, for this church and this time, we, uh, my wife and I have, have helped plant several churches, and we planted a church in Tijuana, uh, Tijuana, as they say in, in gringo land here. Um, we, we planted a church in Tijuana, and we were there for almost three years. We moved back now to our main church, uh, where we have a, a bunch of, of things to do, but it, it's such an exciting time to be in this church. Like, there, this is, I mean, just, just, just seeing how, uh, you know, and, and as people are coming and new people are here, it's such an exciting thing to be a part of. This, it, without a doubt, is God's plan for Chicago, okay? The local church is what Jesus left us to reach the world. It's his plan to reach the world. It's, it's literally his plan A and every other plan he has, and he's basically put us in charge of logistics. Uh, you know, he's, this is the blueprint, now go do it. And you guys are doing it, and it's, it's so cool. And so uh, I'm just going to say a quick prayer, and we're going to and jump into what God has placed on my heart for this this evening. Father, thank you again for Oasis Church Chicago. I pray that, that you'll just continue to build this church, Father. Bless uh, Pastor JP and his wife and Pastor Zach and uh, Jordan and the rest of the team. Bless them. Thank you for them. Thank you that, for their sacrifice, Lord, that they're just laying it down for you. And I pray that, that this will be a place where many can come to know you that this will be a, a light in this city, Father, that it will multiply, that it will grow, and that many, many people will get to meet you through this place. Father, I pray you bless our time together. Thank you that we get to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Uh, I was reading Matthew 11. Okay, if you guys have a Bible, you can go to Matthew 11. I think it's going to be up on this huge electronic Bible behind me if you didn't bring one of your own. But in Matthew 11, it, it's, and if we're not going to have time to read the whole chapter, we'd be here for uh, longer than we're supposed to. So when you guys have a chance on your own, I encourage you, read Matthew 11. I just want to hit some of the, the highlights. But what I love about this, and, and this is what I love about discovering the Bible as an adult more, is that when the Bible was written, there weren't chapters and verses, and there weren't the little headings that you guys have in your, in your Bibles. It was all one letter. And so a lot of times we see context from what happened before, what happens after, and it kind of gives you a different feel for what's going on if you read more than one little section at a time. And so in Matthew 11, your Bible probably has it broken down into several little parts, but I'm going to kind of pick a couple of verses out of each section. Jesus was, this all happened at the same time, okay? It wasn't like, you know, one thing happened and then later something else happened. So this is meant to be read as a whole. It's not meant to be broken up. And so there's a few things happening with Jesus and this group of people he's talking to. And just to kind of give you some context, in this moment in time, Jesus is kind of new on the scene. And so imagine, just imagine, uh, living in this time period and hearing about a man who's walking around healing people, literally casting out demons. People's lives are changing. People are showing up one way, leaving another way. Uh, your cousin and your, your aunt or whoever who used to be crazy, some, you know, is now whole in there. And so you're, you're, you're seeing this and you're realizing something is going on. And Jesus, we know he's, he's turned the other cheek. He's the son of God. He's a man of peace. But there he says some things in this passage that is pretty, it's, for lack of a better word, it's pretty gnarly stuff. Okay, he, he says stuff that's kind of, it's, it's heavy stuff. And so I'm just going to jump in at Matthew 11, uh, verse 16. He says, and this is one of those passages, I'm a pastor, I've been a pastor for, you know, eight years now, and I, I struggle to understand this verse, right? This is, and so we're going to unpack it a little bit. But he says, to what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Okay, now we're going to jump to verse 20, and it says, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. I don't know how to say these words, but you don't know either, so we're just going to go through it, okay? It says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Woe to you is, is, you know, that's Jesus' way of saying you're screwed, right? Kind of, anyway, but he's basically saying, you know, not, not, not totally, not literally, but he's saying, he's saying, hey, you guys, if, if they would have seen, and then he goes on to say, we're not going to read it, but he goes on to say, if the miracles that were performed in this place and that place would have been performed in, in Sodom, which is like historically one of the most evil cities on earth, they would have, so he's really, he's really giving it to these guys, okay? So we'll jump to verse 25. And it says, at that time, so when he gets done just kind of giving it to him, freaking out on him, he says in verse 25, at that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. And then this is the last one I'll read in, in chapter eleven, twenty-eight. He says, and this is kind of the context for this famous passage of scripture. He says in, in 11, after all of that, he says, come to me. Come to me. So he's saying to these people, hey, if you, you know, they should have seen what you've seen. And then he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. And we define souls as your mind, will, and emotions, right? So let me read it again. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your mind, your will, and your emotions. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know if, if, if you ever try to convince somebody of something, right? I know we all do this. I've been up here in the United States now uh, on this trip for uh, a little over a week, and it's been, uh, it had been a long time since I've been able to come to the state. I haven't been to Chicago, uh, my home church, since 2015, and um, I've been out of the country for a while, and, and being back up here, it is, it's crazy how many people are convincing me of things that I've missed, right? Like food, restaurants, you have to eat this, you have to eat here, and food is my love language and my spiritual gift. So a lot of people talk to me about food, right? So we talk about food, and you got to eat this, you got to, or shows, right? I'm hearing about shows, The Hunted or Hunter, I don't know what it was called. Everyone's telling me about this show I got to watch, and, you know, movies, and all this stuff, and, and, and I got a, a friend of mine in Topeka, huge movie guy, and he's always telling me, you got to see this, man, you got to see, and we do this, right? We all do this. You see a movie, and you can immediately think of people that would like to see that movie, and you pressure them. We want them to see it. We want to talk about it, right? And it gets annoying. It's annoying. But what I do, and this is a, this is a tip, if I like, you know, if you, if you like to annoy people, when, when, like this guy who's constantly telling me, you got to see this. And lately, it's been this, vo- it's been this documentary about volcanoes on Netflix. I'm not kidding, right? It's this famous documentary filmmaker, and he made a documentary about volcanoes. And I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's the guy who did like the Grizzly Man guy. He's like a famous, he's a famous documentarian. I think that's the word. And so he, he, this guy's always about, you got to see. I'm like, dude, I'm not going to watch. I care nothing about this. I'm not going to watch it. So what I do is I finally see this stuff, and it's always good. He has, the guy knows me. He knows what, what's good about movies. And, and so my favorite thing to do with him is then I go back to him. I'm like, dude, you've got to see this documentary about volcanoes, right? And so whoever, whoever spread, you got to watch this. you got to eat this. Whenever I finally do do it, I love to go back and, and, and kind of do that, you know, with them. Or For example, shrimp. I never ate shrimp until I moved to Mexico. I don't know how many guys like shrimp. I know we live in the middle of the country. There's not, like, fresh shrimp here. But where I live, there is. And so growing up, I blame my father. He's here tonight, my grandfather, uh, who's gone on to be, you know, the big shrimp boat in the sky. Now he's with the Lord. But when I was a kid... We'd go fishing in the Gulf of Mexico, and he would, we would use live shrimp as bait, right? And so as a kid, and I could not have been more than four or five, and honestly, if I remember this, it's because it's, trauma, it's traumatized me. I need help with my mind, will, and my emotions, right? But he would, you know, he would make me hand him the shrimp, and they're alive, and I'm a kid. And so I remember, I remember trying to grab them by their, like, they have antennas when they're still alive. They have little, like, yeah, and so I think they're called antennas. And so I would grab them by their antennas, and they would break off and fall back into the ocean. And they're not free. You know, you have to buy them. And so I just remember, I remember my grand, what is the shrimp going to do to you, boy? I remember that stuff. And, and so it took me years. And so I finally tried shrimp. And they're amazing. Shrimp are awesome. And so now it's one of those things where you feel like, man, I've been missing out. And, and so as we do this, as we convince people of stuff, eat at this restaurant, imagine, imagine what it's like to convince people of something, and you guys know how this feels, of important stuff, you know. Like, oh man, you've got to do this. Church, Jesus, you know, stuff like this. If you take it a step further and you think about what it would feel like to convince somebody not to do something that would hurt them. And I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, so that's pretty much 80% of my life at this point is convincing them not to do certain things, you know what I mean, or trying to get them to do certain things. But as we read through this, 
I can just picture Jesus, he's talking to these people, and he starts out with this passage that, honestly, I struggled to understand for a long time, and he, he says, you know, you guys are like a bunch of kids sitting in a marketplace saying, we played and you didn't dance, we played this and you didn't cry, right? And what he's saying is, you want people to do it your way. You, you want people to do what you think is the right thing. In other words, you want everyone to be convinced that your way of doing life is the way. Or another way, we can take it a step further, and we could say we want our lives to look a certain way. Like, I want things to go a certain way. I want to play my little pipe, and I want this to happen. I want to play my little pipe, and I want, I want to receive everything I need to do this or that. I want to get this job. I want to get married now. I want to get married later, whatever it could be. And we, we have this idea in our head of what life needs to look like. So then he takes it another step further, and he starts yelling at these people, right? And we read it. He starts, you know, you guys, you're, you're done because you won't believe. And, and thinking about why. I mean, they literally saw miracles. They saw Jesus do the things we read about. We, they saw healings. They saw, they saw miracles. And, and Jesus is saying, you saw this, and you still aren't willing to follow me. And then he finishes it all up with, my burden, my yoke is light. And yoke, the farming instrument they would use to plow, and it hit me, and it hit me so strong. This whole thing is about control. We want to be in control. I want to be in control. I want to play my part. I want to do this. And then, if you think about why would people see all of these miracles, and they, wouldn't, they still wouldn't give their lives to Christ, because they want to be in control of their lives. So you can see this, and you can say, man, I, you know, and, and think about this with me, intellectually for a minute. If you believe there is a God, right, we believe, and you may not, you may be here tonight and you don't believe, and that's, I'm super glad you're here, you don't have to believe that there's a God to be here, but those of you who do believe that there is a God, you know, if someone were to ask you yes or no, do you believe that there is a God, and you say yes, but then you don't decide to let him rule your life, honestly, intellectually, it's stupid, Right? I mean, think about it. If, okay, there is a God who's in control. He is in control. There is, there is a heaven and there is a hell. Fundamentally, he knows what is best for me. That is part of what we live, that we were born. And this is what, honestly, this is what gets me. This is what gets me. This is what, this is what got me when I made the decisions. That, that I, there is a God and he has a plan and purpose for my life. Right? And so I had to come to the realization in college that I was deliberately, deliberately living against what a sovereign God has planned for me, right? And when you break it down like that, you think, man, that's, it just doesn't make any sense. And so, but it's possible to do, and these people were doing it. They were, they were living, they were living in, in the same time as and around the Son of God, but they were deliberately choosing not to follow him. And it, the tension of it all, and what's sad is that our relationship with Christ is not about control, and that's the big punchline at the end. When he says, you know, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. And I've been up here again for a week, and it is insane to me the amount of weary and burdenness that exists right now. Every song on the radio, everything is about people needing help, right? And I don't want to belittle this at all. Please, just hear me. I, you know, I need rest for my soul constantly, all the time. But... The weary and burdenness that exists, all the pressure, I mean, it's just, it's insane the pressure people are under, jobs, money, finances, future, career, uh, relationships, and, 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 and starting families and young kids. It is an insane time to be alive. It truly is. But Jesus is saying, you guys think, you know, he's saying to this crowd, you guys think it's about control. 
You think, you know, you're thinking, he, and that's why he's saying, woe to you. You're thinking that you don't want to surrender control of your life, but you don't understand that my yoke is easy, okay? He's saying, I want to guide you. That's what a yoke does. It guides the animal. I want to guide you towards rest for your soul. I want to guide you towards rest in your mind, your will, and your emotions. Everything that inside of you that gets anxious and that gets tight and that all of that, all the trauma, he's saying, I want to guide you to a restful place. You don't, in other words, you don't get it. You think it's not about me controlling you. It's about me guiding you. It's basically a surrender. Psalm 23, maybe the, the most famous psalm that exists. He says, he leads me, verse two, he leads me beside quiet waters. And then it says, he restores my soul. He restores my mind, my will, and my emotion. So, but he leads me to that place. He leads me, another, another translation says, he quiets my soul. I like that. He quiets that deep breath, he gives me rest. And so we see Jesus in this passage saying to this crowd, let me bring you rest. That's what I want. It's like the help me help you. You know, you think it's about, oh, if, I, if I surrender my life to Christ, if I make this decision, then everything changes. Then I no longer, I'm gonna end up as a missionary in Africa married to a woman with a bone through her nose, right? That's the big fear of all the college kids I knew, right? And so you think if I surrender, if I surrender, right? If I give this up, I'm gonna have to do this. I'm not gonna be able to do this. I'm not gonna be able to, you know what I mean? And you equate that. And it's funny, it doesn't matter if you've followed Christ for years. If you're here and you've not made that decision or if you're here and you have been a Christ follower for 30 years, right? It's a continual process. There's more rest. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life in abundance. He wants to give, it's not something that just comes and goes. He wants to keep doing it. So it's kind of a continual process. And people that have, that have you know, had a career for 20 years, they, they discover that it's a continual renewal of rest. It's a continual surrender. You know what, it's true. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's saying, that, you know, there is no burden in what I do. So real quick, um, it's not gonna be very long. Real quick, I just wanna mention three kind of three steps that we can take to, to, towards his rest, right? And the first one is this. Our ideas, our ideas must surrender to his truth, okay? And so this is, this is what he's basically saying at the beginning. I want things to be this way. You know, those kids playing the pipe or, or sing, you know, singing the dirge and you didn't mourn. Instead of you thinking things need to be this way, we have to be willing to say, God, what is your way, right? And so how many are married in here? I know it's kind of a, yeah, is that it? A few, few, of you, few of you have discovered this. Um, the rest of you will, hopefully, Lord willing, shortly, or longly, whatever you want to do. But, um, <laughs> but I, I remember, like, things change when you get married, right? It totally changes. One of the biggest changes I noticed was before I got married, I had one pillow on my bed, only one pillow, which I sometimes made or didn't make. Now there's like 30 pillows. I'm a missionary in Mexico, and even so, we have like 30 pillows on the bed, okay? And we don't have, we, you know, the house is not air-conditioned, uh, you know, and, but we have pillows. And so, but I've gotten this thing down, right, where, where it's like a flick move, where I can grab the top of the blanket and just, bah, flick it real hard, and all those pillows just fly around the room, but they're off my bed, and I just leave them where they lie, right? It doesn't bother me, but um, the, the, the other, and this was a, the first point of contention in my marriage, right? So we get back from our honeymoon. The next morning, my wife gets up and makes breakfast. Like this huge, awesome breakfast. And I was like, oh my gosh, my life has changed forever. Like, th this is new reality. Like, I literally, it was so naive of me. It lasted like a day, obviously. And then, but, but, um, 
I say this in front of my wife, don't worry, she, she wouldn't get mad. And so, but what I noticed, she's making this awesome breakfast, and um, I don't know how many of you here are sociopaths, but she cracked, she cracks the eggs straight into the frying pan, right? I mean, to scramble them, right? And so, you know, it's like, hey, dear, um, you know, notice you were cracking the eggs straight into the frying pan. It's not how you make eggs, right? Um, so, obviously, obviously, you have to crack them into a bowl, you know, you stir them up a little bit and make sure there's no shells or obviously like one out of every thousand eggs, you can get a bloody one or something, you know, you got to make sure you what, if you, what if you already have eggs in the frying pan and then you mix it in? So anyway, it, you know, I was like, I tried everything to change that, you know, like, hey, put them in a bowl, you know, and, and, and so we've been married for almost nine years and she still cracks them straight into the frying pan, so nothing has worked. But it, 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 to me, it's just, it's, just, it's just this idea, right, of like, it's not the, and, and so, I, you know, it's kind of a lighthearted example, but in our walk with Christ, you will find time after time after time after time after time, years, that, that there'll be something and you think, no, it should be this way. God, why is this not working? Why am I not being blessed? I'm doing this, I'm trying this, I'm literally doing what you told me to do. It should happen this way. And we have to be willing to, to come to his peace. I heard a pastor say, and it rocked me, uh, one of my favorite quotes ever. He said, to have peace that passes all understanding, you have to give up your right to understand. And, and it's just, it's so, it's so true to, to get to this point, because as long as you're trying to, to understand and kind of force your will upon this, you're not letting him reform and restore your mind, will, and emotion. So in other words, it gets reshaped to his, right? So we have to let our ideas die or surrender to his truth. And the second thing, and this is so important, is do not miss what God is doing, right? Don't miss it. And, and one of the things that first strikes me when I read this passage is that it's possible to miss what God is doing. It's possible to sit in a move of God and not realize that God is moving. And that's scary to me. Honestly, it's scary. It's scary to, to realize that even what's happening here, you can take something for granted so easily, right? And you can, you can just write it off as something else. Oh, it's coincidence. Oh, you know. But, but when you truly understand that there is a supernatural God who wants to do things in your life and is actively pursuing you. You're not here by coincidence. You're not here just because, you know, they're practically models, the pastors. You're here because God is, God is pursuing you. He is after you. He wants, he wants your heart. So let me tell you, there's a couple of things that have happened recently in, uh, in Mexico. This is so cool to me. We, we, one of my jobs down there is to oversee, we have six churches around our main church in Nayarit, and one of my jobs is to oversee those six churches, and uh, this last year, we were, the church was growing, this one church in a place called Jalisco, it's totally growing, and we were looking at options for space, so we were going to think, we were thinking about renting a house on the opposite street in the corner, we were thinking about moving to an event hall uh, a couple blocks away, we didn't know what to do, we were growing, we didn't want to pay rent, we owned our, we own our building there now, and we had a team down, and one of the guys on the team noticed, it just happened, that they put the house up for sale next door to our church, one of the guys visiting. And he was like, oh man, you guys should buy that house. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be cool to buy a house. It'd be cool to buy a Ferrari. It'd be cool, you know, I mean. But, but he, when he said it, you know, it was like, but something in me just kind of sparked, you know, when he said it. And we started praying about it. They went back to their home church and they called me a, a couple weeks later and said, we want to buy you guys that house for your church. Just buy it. Cash, the whole thing, pay for it. And it was just like a whoa, you know, it, it, and so we're able, we just got the plans drawn up, we're knocking out some walls, and we can seat double the amount of people that we could seat before, but you cannot look at stuff like that, 
right? And you could look at it and say, oh, that's, you know, that's, that's cool, that's God. And so taking it a step further, and this, they told me, and this is, this is crazy, but Jalisco is the number one exporter in Mexico of black tar heroin right now. And I don't know if you guys watch the news, but in, in Northeast Ohio, all over the Midwest, but especially in Northeast Ohio, there's been a lot of heroin overdose deaths, right? A lot, a crazy amount. You can research it in the news. And so it turns out that this church uh, located in Akron, Ohio, is buying us a building for our church where the root of the heroin epidemic starts. And instead of combating it locally in their Northeast Ohio area, they're, and they're actually talking to city council members, and they're, they're getting the word out that they found a new way to attack this drug problem by going straight to the source in Jalisco, Nayarit, and, and do it. And you, you cannot, you could not convince me that is not God. You know, you could not convince me. You could not, and, and so that's kind of a drastic example. We've had, we had a, a night, a special night a few weeks ago. We saw over 100 people get saved in one, in one day in, in our church in Topeka. And we've, so those are big, but at the same time, at the same time, this morning I preached at a church on the south side and five people got saved. And, and so if you, can't, if you can't look at that and say five people had their eternal destiny changed from one way to another, if you can't recognize that that is one of the most significant and amazing things that can take place on this earth, that God is still doing that. If you can't see that, it really sets you up to get off track from having him give you the peace that your soul needs. But when you recognize God is still doing things, he's doing things in my life, your life, coming to this, this is not a normal thing. This is not normal, seriously. Having this many people in this location, in this church, God is doing this. And so we see that people sit around with Christ and they can say, that, and, and Jesus says to them, woe to you because you saw God move, yet you weren't willing to surrender your life. And he's saying, let surrender it so that I can give you peace. And it's funny, as you know, when we're kids and we hear about sin and, you know, it's freaky, right? And I invited the Lord into my heart like 50 times when I was a kid. Every time I fly, I still do. I still say the prayer just to make sure that, you know, that it's all good, right? But, but as, you're, as, as you get, you know, you get older and you, you start to understand roots and, and, and what sin is and what sin does to you, you can see what Jesus is doing here is saying, let me rescue you from yourself. You know, sin, what it does is it damages your soul. Sin hurts your mind, your will, and emotions. It's possible that you're saved. You believe Christ died for you. You're going to go to heaven. But your, your mind, will, and emotions is under attack. When you're tempted, you're tempted in your mind, will, and emotions. You're tempted in your soul, right? And, and when, you're trauma, when you're hurt, it's your soul. And so you have to understand, Jesus is saying a lot more than, hey, let me help you feel better. He's saying, let me heal the part of you that longs for what you shouldn't long for. Let me heal the part of you that's hurting you. Let me heal the part of you that won't let you rest. Let me, let me change and restore the part of you that keeps longing for what's destroying you, right? And so when you start to understand the depth of his invitation, you know, my yoke is easy. My guidance is not hard. And so please do not miss that God is real and God is active. And the third thing, uh, so first of all, we have to let our ideas surrender to his truth. We have to recognize he's still doing things. And the third thing is recognize that his invitation changes everything, everything. What he says, when he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, that changes everything, right? And, and, and as you look at it, and the word that he uses is repent, okay? When he, when he talked, and repent is a scary word if you grew up in church, but it basically means, it basically means 
to change your mind. That's what it means, to do a 180 in your mind. That's the origin of the word. And so when he says, um, you saw miracles, you saw me move, and you did not change your mind. That's what he's saying, right? So quick illustration. If I was a Sox fan, and now I'm a Cubs fan, right? I repented. I, I, that's, that's what it means. I repent, okay? I'm sorry. I repent, okay? And, and so, but, but when, when he's saying it, he's saying, you know, there's basically two ways you can go about this, right? You can live your life and you can try to control everything. You can, you can believe that, hey, this should happen because it's what should happen, like the beginning of the passage was talking about. Or you could think, no, 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 but I want it to be this way. I want my life to be this way. He's saying, hey, if you've seen all of this, you've seen what God is doing, and you still, even in the worship uh, this afternoon, if you can sit through that worship and you think that there is not a God pursuing you, right, if you, can, if you can still do that and not change your mind towards him, that's when it's a woe is you. And it's not woe is you, I'm gonna punish you. Right? Please hear me. Please hear me. He's not threatening to punish you. This was a huge thing for me when I got this. Um, like, like when Jesus says, you know, you have to forgive or I can't forgive you. He's not threatening you. He's describing something. He's saying, if, if you can't believe that I'm enough to cover, you know, what they've done to you, how can you believe that I'm enough to cover what you've done to God, right? Or, or he's saying, in, 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 you know, in, in this situation, woe to you is not I'm going to punish you. He's just describing your life is going to be rough, Right, woe is you. In other words, like I joked earlier, you're screwed, but because of what you decide, right? You are, you are physically deciding, I want to reject Christ. And you can do that, you, you're allowed. But what you do when you do that is you rob yourself of rest for your soul. Because there's nothing in this world that can satisfy what only he can satisfy. So, so you've, you're choosing, and just so you understand, you're choosing to say, okay, uh, and again, it's not a threat. He's not like ready to punish you. He's not ready to pour gasoline and light you on fire like we imagine God to be, right? He, 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 he is just describing, he's saying, he's saying, listen, if you continually refuse to change your mind, if you continually refuse to not recognize me, you're going to go through hard times and you're going to be alone, you're gonna be by yourself. You're not gonna have rest for your soul. You might not feel it now, right? But there will come a day and you will, be, you will feel the turmoil in your mind, your will and emotions, and it will hurt and you will be by yourself, right? And, and so he's saying, change your mind. Look to me, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will take care of it. My, my yoke is easy. My, what I have for your life is not going to cost you. It's not going to make you miserable. You're going to be okay, right? And, and so it could cost us in some ways, but if you weigh at the end what he's offering you, right, you, you end up so... You end up fulfilling the reason that you were born, right? Honestly, it's, it's, it sounds a little... Um, exaggerated, but it's the truth. And so there's one thing, and I want to close with this. There's one result of all of this, right? When you begin to understand that this is all about the fact that you have been born with a plan and a purpose, and I want to close with this verse in John 4, 35. Jesus says, he's talking to people again, he says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? In other words, he's saying, don't you have a saying, like, I'll do it tomorrow, right? And we do have a saying, yes, Jesus, we do. We, see, we say that, right? He says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. In other words, hey, don't you guys, you guys keep saying, I'll do it tomorrow. You guys keep saying, I'll do it later. You guys keep saying, no, I'll get my life straightened out when I, when I have a family. I'll get my life straight out when we have kids. You, you keep saying that, and he's saying, no, right now. Look around you. Wake up. 
People need to hear this. People need this peace. People need rest. People are so, I mean, there's people that are just going through such hard times. People need what only he can offer. People need what only he has, the, the, the restoration for their soul, the rest and the peace in their soul. What only Jesus can offer is what people desperately need in this city and your family all around us. And so he's saying, he's saying, guys, if you get this, if you understand this, look around you and recognize that it's not only for you the rest and the peace, and it's not only for you, it's for those around you. And he's calling us to, to do something with the knowledge we've been given. Okay, we've been blessed. You guys are so blessed. Just to live in this, in this city, this, we're, we're such blessed people. And to have the, the message of Jesus so freely given to us, to understand everything he's done, to know that there's more. And, and my prayer for this church, my prayer for you is that first of all, you'll understand that in your own life. That you'll get to the place where you say, you know what, it's time for me to surrender what I think is, I'm just gonna trust, I'm gonna trust, I'm gonna surrender and say, Lord, guide me. And I don't, I don't even know what it looks like in your situation, but he does. He knows what it looks like. He knows what your next step is. He knows what four steps from now is. And he might not reveal it to you yet, but he knows what it is. But then he wants you to take that and he wants you to share it. And you, are, you honestly will, will find, and, and, and I swear this is true, there is no greater feeling than to be used by God. There's no greater feeling than that. And so once you understand what he has for you and then you allow him to use you, you will find there is nothing greater. So let's, let's if you guys could, could you stand to your feet and, and just kind of close your eyes? We're gonna have a, kind of guard this moment of,